Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. Hey, friends. Hello. How are, we, how are we doing? I'm doing great. Good. We just had a breakthrough, and I just want to. We did. I just want to say. I mean, this is. I feel stupid, but also, we were talking about what um, we were gonna, you know, call our audience, and and he came up with not toddies, which wow, I like because I'm a bartender, and it kind of sounds like hot toddy. I don't know. I don't know. Is that dumb? Let us know if it's dumb. Is that and if super it's not, dumb? we'll roll with it. I don't know if that's And super if you dumb. don't say anything, we'll also roll with it. So <laughs> not toddies. Well, I, 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 I never ended up putting the poll on Instagram, so I can put the poll yeah, on we Instagram. Need to do that. I'll now do, we have a new option. Yes, I'll do not tots, notties, and then not toddies, which is kind of fun. Anyway. Fun. Yeah. Fun. I mean I didn't think it was that great. I just combined the two. But. Yeah, no, I think it just I think it just hit me because it sounded like a hot toddy and I I've been thinking yeah. about bartending, so it's like so now you're excited. Now I'm a little bit excited about it, but Cool. It is also kind of silly, so we'll see. But anyway, um, I'm excited to talk about the story this week. It's it's crazy, obviously. They're always, as per usual. As per usual. I feel like I say the word crazy at least 100 times per episode. <laughs> this story is just so crazy. This story, unlike the others, is freaking crazy. <laughs> it's I, also crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I feel like this is one that's like, I don't I, I, don't, I don't know. I hesitate to say fa- like famous, but... Well-known. Yeah, it's like a well-known story. I feel like this is, it, it comes from the TV show I Survived is like where I first heard it. And it's like one of the biggest I Survived, I feel. It's like one of the most shocking in my opinion. Okay. Um, so yeah, let's just jump in because it's a great story. Jump in. Um, so yeah, I got my information from I Survived and also a really great article on the HoustonPress.com. So today we are going to be talking about Jennifer Morey. Does any does that name ring a bell? Nope. No. I'm thinking Maury Povich, but that's all, that's all I got. <laughs> We're gonna be talking about Maury Povich today, everyone. <laughs> no, <laughs> maybe another day. Anyway, uh, so Jennifer Maury lived in Houston, Texas, in 1995. She was a young, successful, beautiful single lawyer living by herself in an apartment complex called the Bayou Park Apartments. And she chose specifically to live there because it was supposed to be a very safe complex. She was, you know, a young woman living alone and wanted to feel safe, which I completely understand. But this apartment building or complex was good because they had 24 hour security by an on-premises Pinkerton security guard. And I don't know if you know anything about security companies, but Pinkerton is a big company. That is, it, it was huge back then. It's huge now. So it's yeah. like one of those, you know, big name security companies. Yeah. I'm thinking Pinkerton goons. I don't know. Like, I think they were used to like bust up unions in the back in the day. I have no idea. I don't know. But anyway, regardless, Pinkerton is like a big name in security, which is appealing to a young single girl living by herself. Amen. Yeah. Jennifer said that she had heard of Pinkerton before and the name seemed old and strong like quote or quote like Wells Fargo, which made her feel safe. So gotcha. yeah, it's just one of those names. Um, and on the evening of April 15th, 1995, Jennifer had plans to go out and get some drinks after work at a local alehouse with some friends. 
And at first she didn't want to go out that night, but her friends convinced her to come out. And once she was there, she was having a great time and all of her friends were there and she ended up staying until midnight. You go. Yeah. Have a fun night out with your your ladies. (laughs) Yeah. But (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't know why that. Have fun. Yes. Yes. Have fun. Do that thing. (laughs) Amazing. Um, So after, you know, having fun with her friends, she gets a ride home with one of her friends. And when she gets home... Uh, It's a little bit after midnight. She deadbolts her door behind her, locks her windows, you know, everything you're supposed to do. Then she did her nighttime routine. I'm assuming she washed her face, brushed her teeth, got into her jammies, and went to bed. She got a little face mask, maybe? I mean, shit, that sounds nice to me. But then around 4 a.m., Jennifer wakes up to the feeling of pressure on top of her and something against her neck. No. Yeah. So she soon realizes that there was a man straddling her, holding her body down and pressing a knife against her neck. Jesus Christ. Yeah. At first, when she's half asleep, she thinks that this is a dream, but she soon snaps out of it and realizes that this intruder has broken into her home and is attempting to rape her. Once this realization hits her, she immediately puts up a fight And during this struggle, she does everything she possibly could. She's kicking, she's screaming, she's biting, and she even actually is able to grab the knife. But while she's fighting back, this man is saying to her, just be quiet, just be quiet. And then he says, just stop moving, Jennifer. So he knows her. What the fuck? He knows her name. And the fact that he knew her name was very shocking, obviously, because she she's like okay this person knows me so now she's trying to place his voice and she can't she doesn't know this man but this man knows her okay so this is like one of those insane yeah very scary very scary so then she starts screaming so loud that she wakes up all 15 of her neighbors but not one of them called the police are you fucking kidding me no I'm not kidding you. And this is actually, I remember I showed you in my notes, I had uh, cue Alex getting mad. This is that. This is me getting mad. Cue me, I'm mad. Great. How can none of you, like, you, as if her neighbors are listening? Yes. I knew. (laughs) (laughs) How can none, what the heck, guys? None of you are like, oh, yeah, like, blood-curdling scream, like, everything's fine. Yeah. Well, I just thought of how every time we hear any sort of noise, even if someone's like screaming in laughter, we immediately open up our door and we're like, huh? I'm like, well, (laughs) if somebody's getting murdered, I would like to at least be able to call the police. Of course. To help them. Yes. Because I would want people to do the same for me. That's a great- If I was getting, somebody was trying to rape me with a knife, I'd probably want the police to be called. That is true. Um, So. But- that's a great instinct, but not a lot of people don't have that instinct. Yeah, no, this is the bystander effect. Yes. This also happened in some other case. I forget which one it was, but this woman was being murdered in an apartment complex of yeah. like over 40 people at least, yeah. and nobody called. And I think people like saw, saw this happen. it happening yeah. and didn't call. Yeah. And it's like, what the fuck are we doing here? Well, because I mean, I'm not that I'm, you know defending that because i'm not like if you see something call the police or hear something call the police it's better to be wrong and stupid than yeah dead but but you know it's it's the bystander the bystander effect is very real yeah i mean everyone everyone thinks like oh i don't have to call because someone else will right and it's like a scary situation so they're like oh this is not my problem you know right well 
Continue. Yeah, anyway, her, her 15 neighbors didn't call the police is what I'm getting at. Also, where's the security guard? I'm not done. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll find out. So this man then slashes her throat from right ear down to the center of her neck. Okay. And this is leaving a wound deep enough to look like a second mouth. Jesus. Um, now blood is getting all over Jennifer's bed and this intruder. And because she's still fighting up to this point, everything is getting very slippery with all the blood and she's losing blood very quickly. And she is losing strength and energy fast. So finally, this intruder pulls Jennifer by her hair off of the bed across the room and throws her into the bathroom. He told her that if she moved or came out of the bathroom, he would kill her. And then he slams the door to the bathroom. So Jennifer immediately puts a washcloth over her wound to try to slow the bleeding and then pushed herself up against the door and put her feet on the bathtub. That way she's kind of in front of the door and he can't open the door again. Because she had no idea what this man's plan was. Was he going to come back into the bathroom? Was he waiting to see if she'd come out? Is he going to leave? Like, she had no idea what was going on, obviously, because how could she? So at this point, she's just waiting and listening. And she hears the intruder zip his pants up. And then soon after that, she hears the front door close. After this, she waits a little bit longer to make sure that there's, you know, no other noises happening in her apartment. And then she tries to open the door. So she puts her hand on the knob, but she can't get a grip on it because of all the blood on her hands. Oh my God. So it's, her hand is slipping and she can't get any grip. And she also jammed the door when she pushed herself up against it. So the door was stuck. No. Yeah. So she's pulling at it and pulling at it. And she actually said that in this moment, she started laughing because she's like, really, this is how I'm going to die. I can't get the door open. Oh my god, that's what's going through her head. Yeah, she started laughing. (laughs) So finally, she's able to get a good enough grip on the door because she used a towel, and she yanks it open and gets out of the bathroom. So she fumbles down the hallway and tries to turn on the lights, but her power isn't working. But she keeps- Excuse me? This is the security guard. I'm calling it now. Uh, Nobody else has- She double-bolted her door, so Mm -hmm. he's the only one with the keys. He knows her, and also turned off the fuse to her- apartment that is a security guard that is a theory do i win do i win clue (laughs) well i guess we're just gonna have to wait and find out so but she keeps trying so you know the lights aren't working but at this point she tries to you know go to her phone which at this point is still a landline because it's 1995 and the phone is dead because the power's off then she finds her cell phone, which thankfully she had a cell phone. And I mean, thank 19, you, 1995. They have cell flip phones. phone. Yeah. So she has her cell phone and she then quickly goes back into the bathroom because, again, she doesn't know if this man is still somewhere in her apartment or if he's going to come back or whatever. So she, she gets her cell phone and locks herself back in the bathroom and dials 911. So that night, a man named Richard Everett had just started his first shift as a 911 dispatcher. Oh no. And this whole thing is happening around like 4 a.m. So he's just getting on to his first shift as a 911 dispatcher. Oh, the luck that this woman has. <laughs> no, but it's, you'll see. So Jennifer gets connected to Richard and she explains everything that has just happened. And he begins telling her that everything is going to be fine, but to keep a clean washcloth and pressure on the wound. And he told her to stop talking so much because you know, that's probably making the bleeding happen faster, but to stay on the line until the police and the ambulance get to her. 
and just to give him like small answers because he's answer he's asking her questions but just give him like one word tiny answers yeah, yes or no answers yes and he's just comforting her he's doing a very good job so jennifer said later that richard was amazing and he was able to get her to calm down and think straight which is exactly oh, what wow. their job is you know that's amazing oh well go richard go i thought richard. this was going to go a different direction no this is actually very this is like an angel he, he is very very good so he helped her figure out if she was cut anywhere else and she wasn't thankfully and he just kept her sane and kept talking to her for the next 10 minutes while the police and ambulance were on their way and suddenly Jennifer hears a knock at the door, the front door, okay? So she tells Richard, there's somebody at the front door, what should I do? And Richard tells her to ask who it is. So she asks who it is. And the guy yells that his name is Brian Gibson, and he is the night security guard from Pinkerton on duty that night. He said that he had just been attacked by the guy that jumped off of Jennifer's second story balcony and just wanted to know if Jennifer was okay. He's basically saying, please let me in. Are you hurt? There's a lot of blood out here. Mm, fishy. I don't like it. <laughs> fishy. I don't know. So Jennifer tells Richard that it's just the security guard there to check on her. But Richard Richard got a really bad gut feeling Boom, about this. Boom. Me and Richard on the same page, baby. <laughs> yes. And his response was, don't open that door. And Jennifer is like, why? I, I need help. And he's the security guard. He's here to help me. Wait for the cops. But Richard said, we haven't notified your building yet about the attack. And I know he said he saw someone jump off the balcony, but I'm just not getting a good feeling about this. And then I said, straight vibes only, baby. <laughs> Richard is on the vibes. He's, he knows. He's on he knows. those vibes. But Jennifer trusts Richard, trusts Richard at this point and tells this security guard that he's, she's not letting him in. So Brian starts to get a little frantic and he's like, why not? I just want to help you. Let me in. Can I call 911? Go for it. Jennifer tells him that the police are on the way and Brian says, I know I can hear the sirens. So now Jennifer is like, wait, okay. He hears the sirens. Like he's not but leaving. To you? You're uh, like a door is separating you. You don't think you can also hear the sirens? She didn't hear them yet. So He's like, I know I can hear the sirens. And that response to her was like, oh, okay, great. So he's actually here to help me. Like, I shouldn't be scared. Mm. So she's like, maybe I should let him in. Maybe he's really here to help me. He's not going anywhere. But Richard is like, I'm sorry. Do not let him in. Don't do it. At this point, Jennifer is getting really scared because she's losing a lot of blood. And she's telling Richard that. She's like, hey, I, I, I'm really getting scared now. Like, this is not good. And Richard is just soothing her and is telling her, listen to my voice. The police are on your street. They're so close. So outside the door, Brian is knocking even harder now because he wants to be let in. And Jennifer still believes that he's truly there to help her. But now she can hear the sirens. And Richard tells Jennifer that they're in her complex and they will be to her in less than a minute. And that's when the knocking goes silent. So when Houston police officers arrived at the Bayou Park Apartments, they were greeted by Pinkerton security guard, 26-year-old Brian Wayne Gibson. And I feel like when I say the full name, that's when you know. Oh, shit. I feel like whenever like podcasts or, you know, true crime stories say the full name, Brian Wayne Gibson, that's when you know. Is that just me? Never mind. No, so, I don't know. <laughs> anyway uh that was dumb but anyway so he didn't run which was shocking but he's talking to the cops about what he saw and brian was a mess 
He was bleeding from his right hand. He had blood all over his face and all over his Pinkerton issued shirt. Okay, so he's he's got blood everywhere. and On him. Yes, but he said that he was attacked by the intruder. And he has a cut on his hand to prove it. Okay? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he told the police his story. He said that he was patrolling that night and he was attacked by the intruder that had jumped, you know, to the ground from Jennifer's balcony. And he said that the man had immediately attacked him, but he managed to wrestle him to the ground before the intruder got away to a nearby field and ran into the darkness. And the police thanked him for the info and told him to wait there. So at this point, it's around five or six in the morning and there's dew all over the grass. When one of the officers is looking around, they shined their flashlight on the field that Brian said the intruder fled into, and there weren't any footprints. Oh. Okay, so they're slowly but surely putting the pieces together. You're full of shit. Yes, so there was also no evidence that someone had jumped from her balcony. There was no footprints, there was no, you know, nothing. Also, this intruder would be covered in blood also. Is there no blood trail? Mm-mm. Yeah. Yeah. So because there's no footprints, there's no evidence of anyone jumping off the balcony, this is when the police are like, okay, there's definitely something weird going on, which is when they had Brian under close watch. And they were like, hey, buddy, why don't you just take a load off and sit with us? You know? They're like, just... Why don't you sit sit in the back of this car? Yeah, sit down. Meanwhile, the ambulance gets Jennifer to the hospital, and it was later determined that the gash on her neck missed her right jugular vein by millimeters. Okay, that's tiny. Wow. wow. That is tiny. Yeah, no, this whole time I was thinking, like, she must not have punctured her jugular. She would have yeah, she not been able. Out. Yeah, yeah. But she was, she lost a lot of blood. But um, the knife also caught her eye, but somehow missed her eyeball. And it caught on, the knife caught on a gold chain, like necklace that she was wearing, that her mother had gotten her as a, ga- a graduation present. And if, if it hadn't, the knife could have pierced her larynx. What's that? Uh, it's like in your in your throat. It's like a... No idea what that is. Okay, your larynx. A thing in your throat. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's just something in your body that you don't want pierced. Okay. I feel like I can say that Fair with confidence. <laughs> Doctors said that the cut was so deep that they had no explanation as to why the nerves that control her facial muscles weren't severed. Wow. And yeah, so Jennifer said, there was a series of little miracles that prevented me from dying. Which is true. There's like, <laughs> there's so many reasons why Jennifer could have died very easily that night, but she didn't. And back at the complex, police start searching Jennifer's apartment. And inside her apartment, they see blood everywhere. But they found a bloody knife, men's underwear covered in Jennifer's blood, and drumroll please, a Pinkerton security cap. Mm-hmm. Okay. This man was dumb dumb. Yeah, I was like, yeah. you really think they're going to go with that story? Right. So then the police go over to good old Brian Gibson, and they're like, hey, man, take off your shirt. <laughs> and he's like, I'm just here to help. <laughs> right. And they're like, great. So take, take off, off your, your shirt. Take off your fucking shirt. <laughs> yeah. And, that's, uh, and when he does, he's covered in defensive marks and scratches. Then they're like, hey, Brian, are you wearing any underwear? <laughs> <laughs> And then I said, what kind of underwear are you wearing, Brian? <laughs> like, yeah, what color? What's, what kind of underwear are you wearing? And when they checked, of course, this man's got no undies, okay? He's also just so happened to be missing his Pinkerton security hat. Mm. So all of the things. Really? Really, yeah. He had also shaved off his pubes, and he later said in an attempt, 
It was, it was an attempt to not leave any evidence at the scene, which is crazy to me because you thought, like, this was very much premeditated, obviously. You still have hair. Yeah, well, yes, but what I find so funny about that statement is, like, you tried so hard to not leave evidence at the scene that you thought to shave your pubes, but then you left the murder weapon, or the attempted murder weapon, your bloody underwear, and your hat. Yeah. What? <laughs> Dumbass. <laughs> like, you, but I shaved my pubes, though. Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? That's so stupid. Make it make sense, Brian. <laughs> so when Brian came back to Jennifer's apartment, he was probably coming back to get all of his shit, and almost definitely to finish the job, aka kill Jennifer. And it turns out, in the three years that Brian had been working for Pinkerton, he had multiple complaints against him and had been relocated on more than one occasion. He had been removed from two assignments after getting into arguments with clients, and his third reassignment happened at a construction site after Brian allegedly used one of the client's vehicles without their permission, which legally is equivalent to auto theft. Right. But instead of this company doing anything about this, like press charges or at the very least fire the guy, Mm -hmm. they thought that it would be a great idea to put him on the graveyard shift at the Bayou Park apartment complex where many young women lived alone, which is so dumb. Wow. So dumb. Jennifer later said, I think he was a sexual criminal who was put into a situation like a kid in a candy shop and he used that opportunity to pick his favorite flavor of candy. Which is, which is true. Like you put this very obviously criminal or very obvious criminal in a situation where he is in charge of the safety of like young, vulnerable women. That's crazy. Yeah. But the, the way that she said it, it just makes me like cringe. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, the whole situation is cringe. I mean, I know, but (laughs) yeah, for sure. But after the attack, Jennifer filed a lawsuit against Pinkerton Security in state district court, which, yeah, for sure. Yeah, she's a lawyer. <laughs> she's go to town. They're like, this is so negligent. Yeah. And while researching the suit, her attorney learned that Brian Gibson was far from the first Pinkerton guard to go bad. Texas state records show that between 1991 and 1995, approximately 130 Pinkerton guards or people recently employed as Pinkerton guards were convicted of felonies, which is nuts, in my opinion, because you can't put someone like a criminal who's been to jail or prison or whatever in the place of authority and give them handcuffs and be like, here's a badge. Now make people be safe. Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on the felony. Like if I'm thinking like marijuana possession or like something like that, like redeemable, but like maybe like armed robbery, probably not. Yeah. No. Hire them as a security guard. Yeah. Let me get this. Let me straighten this out. I'm, I'm not saying the people convicted of felonies shouldn't get jobs. I'm just saying that maybe this job isn't the best for what was happening. was they They weren't doing background checks. Okay. Oh yeah. So it's like anyone with any kind of conviction could be a Pinkerton security guard at that time, which is insane. Yeah. You know, and it's a place of authority. So it's just crazy. Probably they should do background checks on their employees. Yeah, that's the bare minimum, I feel, you know, for this sort of thing. But anyway, here's, um, I have a couple of examples of other Pinkerton security guards that because of this, you know, lack of background checks and, you know, whatever led to really terrible things. 
Okay, so I have a couple examples. So in 1992, a 15-year-old El Paso girl was walking home after a movie when she was cut off by a car. And a man got out of the car wearing a Pinkerton security uniform. And witnesses say that they saw the man flash a badge at this girl, handcuff her, and throw her into his car. Then he drove her to the desert where he raped her and shot her at point-blank range in the back of the head. Miraculously, she survived. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding. She survived and crawled back to the highway where she was rescued. And I, I tried to find some more information on her, but I don't think that there's a ton out there. But that is also like another, like this person was a Pinkerton security guard, you know, like he had a badge, he had handcuffs. Right, yeah, woof. It's crazy. So Kenneth Wayne Scott was arrested and convicted of attempted capital murder and is currently serving a life sentence. Who is that guy who did that? And at the time of this attack, Scott was on parole for federal firearms charges, and El Paso County Prosecutor Robin Bramblett said he had a number of prior convictions out of Florida and another state that were easily accessible had anybody bothered to look. So this is like, they weren't looking at all, you know? Like, mm. this, this man was very obviously not in the position to be a security guard and, like, given any sort of authority, but he was. So. Yeah. This is not just a an isolated event. This is like an ongoing problem with Pinkerton at this time. And on January 3rd, 1993, a group of men had been drinking beer. When the beer was gone, they decided to go rob a nearby convenience store. As one does. Right. That's the logical next step. Um, but during the holdup, the 59-year-old clerk Lenora Tetzman and customer 20-year-old Todd Thompson were shot to death. Baytown police followed a trail of beer cans to the house where 20-year-old Christopher Jones and his buddies had been drinking. Jones, one of the shooters, was sentenced to life in prison, and state records show that less than a year before the murders, he had been employed by Pinkerton Security. So this is, you know... Did they fire him? I don't know. He you Maybe know. they at least fired him. <laughs> well, that's something, I guess, but not great. Similarly, in 1995, 22-year-old Christopher L. Christopher L. Jones received a 30-year sentence for murder. State records show that at the time of the shooting, Jones was employed as a guard by Pinkerton Security in Dallas. And I'm not trying to turn this into a smear campaign against Pinkerton. Those are just among the worst cases. And most of the 4,000 or so licensed Pinkerton guards are not felons. Correct. And also, this was 30 years ago? Yes. Almost. Right. And I think since then, Pinkerton has gotten their shit together and do now does actual background checks. But at the time, things weren't great. I think at the time, they, were, they weren't keeping track of their security guards because the turnover rate was so high. It was actually a turnover rate of 50% in any given year, which is like really high. Yeah. Um, so it was hard to keep track of all of the people coming and going into their company, I think. But since then, they have upgraded their systems and are able to better keep track of their guards and perform actual background checks. Because even though it's like a high turnover rate, like it's still your responsibility as a company to be, uh, you know, responsible for your client's safety. Like you're literally right. a security company. Like that's your right. whole job. <laughs> but they have made it better since then, which is good. So at the time... Gibson was hired by Pinkerton, Brian Gibson. Now we're going back to Jennifer's story. The company used the Minnesota Multiphasic Inventory, which was a proven psychological examination geared toward pointing out character flaws. 
but instead of the full test's 500 plus questions, Pinkerton used an abbreviated MMPI with only 168. So a lot less, you know? Right. And in 1997, Pinkerton's own psychologist, Arthur C. LeBlanc, said the short form of the MMPI doesn't measure everything, and it doesn't give you enough data to make an informed decision about a potential employee, and it gives potential clients a false sense of security. It was determined that Brian Gibson had just lied on his application, and it was never looked into. He even lied about having a GED, which was the base level requirement for the position, and it was never looked into, so he got the job. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty bad. Right. Like, that's the base level requirement, and he didn't even have that, and they didn't know it. That's pretty bad. Jennifer filed a lawsuit against Pinkerton Security, and they paid her an undisclosed sum to settle her personal injury lawsuit. Two weeks after the attack, she was, you know, unable to face her apartment, and with good reason, and she moved into the woodlands. And she returned to work as an attorney for a Galleria area law firm, but she was constantly on edge and she wouldn't sleep until the sun was already coming up and then would stay in bed until noon and also would call any or would call 911 for any little noise she heard. Something as little as if her cat accidentally bumped into something, she'd be calling 911. So she was not in a good place right after this attack. Two weeks later, while working alone late on a Sunday night, she spotted a man she didn't recognize walking on her floor of the office building. And the following day, she packed her belongings and drove to her mother's house house in Fort Worth. And for the next six months, she rarely left her mother's side. So she saw one man she didn't recognize and was like, nope, and moved in with her mother. So she was clearly in a bad state of mind. She needs some help. Yeah. She had a really hard time after this attack, but more than seven months later at Thanksgiving, her brother basically told her that she had to snap out of it and move on with her life. After this, Jennifer began applying for work with temp agencies and the work wasn't great. And most of them told her that she was very much overqualified, but it was a starting point. So better than nothing. And around this time was when Brian Gibson was sentenced to only 20 years in prison for attempted murder. And Jennifer was devastated, but continued to hold down a job as a way to hold on to her sanity. After a few months, Jennifer was assigned to a temporary job at Fort Worth's Justin Boot Company, where she worked in product development. And for the first time since the attack, she had made new friends and with their support began contemplating returning to law. That was when Jennifer met a man who would later become her husband. And actually, Richard Everett, who was the 911 dispatcher from that night, attended her wedding and they remained close friends. Richard! Richard! That's so cute. Yes. With the encouragement of her husband and the money from her Pinkerton settlement, Jennifer opened up her own family law practice in Fort Worth, Texas, which she is very proud of. Fuck yeah, Jennifer. Yeah. But the experience changed her forever. She said, I have a theory that the Jennifer Mori that existed on April 15th, 1995 died and that a new one had come out of that. And today she's thriving. She still has her family law business, her practice, and that is the story of Jennifer Mori. Wow. Yeah. That's great. That's such a, I love the happy ending. Yeah, we love a happy ending. So yeah, wow, she got really lucky though. The necklace, how close it came to like her larynx. It hit her eye. Hit her eye, but like didn't hit her eyeball. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. So she could have been blind and dead. Yet, yeah. just before just, she just died, dead. just blind. Yeah, either either just blind or just dead. One of the two. 
Yeah. Um, the other weird part is that she couldn't. The when she couldn't get the door open, she started laughing. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> it's just so ridiculous at that point. You're like, I literally fought off an attacker, and now I can't get out of the bathroom, and that's why I'm gonna die. And, and yep. That's ridiculous. But I was thinking, it must be so tough to be a nine one one dispatcher and like you know, help these people through the most traumatic moments of their life and then have to be like, okay, the police are here now. I'm going to hang up. And then you don't know what happens. I mean, thankfully for Richard Everett, like they became close friends. He went to her wedding. You know, they're still close to this day, I think. But the job is you help them until the police get there and then that's it. Yeah. Also, I can't just, I can't imagine doing that for eight hours and then just going home and like, getting a cheeseburger like what do you yeah. continue with your life after that yeah they are incredible people people who are 911 yeah. dispatchers i can't even imagine can't imagine position. and the people who respond like I oh just, yeah first responders yeah thank you Insane. to all of you yeah i can't <laughs> if you're even listening. imagine yeah yeah damn but that is that on that yes on that do you have a good thing you'd like to share yes um <laughs> i am going to florida this week for a wedding that is so exciting. to see my family yes for the, like the first time in forever yes so, since excited. since covid since covid mm-hmm. that's great that is my good thing amazing um my good thing is my, one of my videos on tiktok got 1.4 million views which made my zillennial lizard brain go yes <laughs> <laughs> you know also just 1.4 million is a number that does not like you say it but it doesn't register oh, in your I brain fully how don't. many that is i have no like understanding of what that actually means it's cool i'm like super grateful for it and i'm like what the heck i can't really wrap my head around it though yeah but you thank know? you tiktok yeah the support's been great yeah definitely it's been out of this world so definitely very cool um and i wanted to remind uh, everyone if you guys have a story please send it to me at no today podcast at gmail.com we really are going to do a listener story soon i know i keep saying we it, have some but we have we some we need more and we want to keep getting some but anyway if you'd like to follow us on instagram and keep up with all the pictures that we post follow us at not today underscore podcast send us an email at no today podcast at gmail.com we have a twitter that is not today podcast but the t on the end of podcast is a three because that follow- makes sense because that makes sense follow us on tiktok at not today podcast and just keep breathing yeah yeah